Hi, you're about to listen to an episode of Borough Talks, a podcast from Borough Market. A very, very warm welcome to you. We're going to be bringing you a series of conversations around food and food culture with some inspiring guests and leading voices from the food industry. I'm your host, Angela Clutton. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Borough Talks. And if you do, you can subscribe for more from us. Hi everybody and a really warm welcome to this edition of Borough Talks where um, I'm chatting to my friend, the market's friend, if you listened to a podcast with Chantal Dickelson for um, International Women's Day a year or so ago, then maybe your friend too, Claire Finney. Lovely to be here. Thank Hi, you for having Claire. me on. It is so nice to have you here. Um, as I just alluded to, not your first time on not the Borough Market time. podcast. No, no. And I'm so used to listening to it that actually I forgot that I was here just for that second so the slight pause was me remembering that I am in fact talking to you you actually have to take part in this you can't just listen to it when you're kind of running or something Claire's very impressively just uh, turned up here hot from uh, a run actually not looking hot just looking like you just sort of you know walked in which I'm very very impressed by Uh, Claire is so knitted into so many facets of Borough Market and we're going to come back to all of that and the, all the work you've done for the market over the years with the knowledge and with market life and just so so many things but we're not here to talk about that at all we're in fact not here to talk about anything to do with borough market we're going to jump straight into what we are here for which is i was going to say your debut book but that's completely wrong but in some ways it feels like a debut book because it's so personal hungry heart yes yes which is out when's it out 8th of june and this is your second book it is my second book yes but you're right that it feels like my first book and it was indeed the first contract that I signed so it kind of came that came and then the female chef sort of usurped it because they wanted to turn it around very quickly but yes it was it's been the idea that's been in my brain for years and really that's interesting because I was wondering about that because you you're an annoyingly good writer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, you really are. The stuff you do at the market, but also whenever you do an article for uh, Delicious or Times or uh, all these uh, people that you're so brilliant at having commissions with, they are always so well done. They're so clever. They're so smart. It's always the right idea at the right time. You always have something interesting to say. Thank you. That is great praise. Which sort of makes the world your lobster, really, in terms of what book you might do. And so I was really curious about the thing you've just touched on, about why why, why this book? Yes. Um, various reasons. It's very much been an accumulation of experiences, my work. I mean, you say that it's not to do with Borough, but Borough is so much a part of my background and in a way I feel as knitted Borough feels as knitted into my veins as you feel like I am knitted into Borough Market it's very it's formative in my food writing career um, but this book was sort of the title and the idea came at almost the same time which is a huge relief I f- found out in retrospect because a lot of people have a good idea and then cannot come up with a title yeah but you're incredibly good at like names and titles and captions for things everyone has to go right now <laughs> to Claire's Instagram don't come off the podcast just you know multitask oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. go, go on to Instagram at the same time and th- you will undoubtedly click on uh, Claire Finney witticism and, which, and they're, they're always like straddling and I mean this is a compliment they're straddling that brilliant line between clever funny and a bit naff oh yeah <laughs> oh 
God. And I love the NAF ones. I really love the NAF ones. You're so good at that. So it doesn't surprise me at all that the name of the book, which is in no way NAF, that doesn't surprise me that the name of the book came so well. And the, the, the full title, Hungry Heart, A Story of Food and Love. Mm-hmm. G- give us your snapshot of what, what the book is. What's it about? It is about the way food weaves its way into our relationships, food and drink, um, but relationships of all kinds. So it's not, when we think of love, kind of, it's a shame really that when we think of love, we so often default to romantic love. Um, And indeed, the book was born out of uh, my collection sort of medium-sized collection I want to say maybe maybe large my collection of dating anecdotes um any woman who gets to her 30s without being married I sound like um almost Austin like here but if you get to your 30s and you're not married you become a past mistress of weaving your dates into hilarious stories uh, to tell your married friends. Um, <laughs> you sound like a mixing Jane Austen and Bridget Jones at this point, which I guess are a mix of themselves anyway. Um, yes, two of my uh, two of my favourite, well, one real writer and one fake, yeah. but yes. Um, and I, you know, some people begrudge doing that. I've never minded. I'm more than happy to play that role. Um, and so it kind of was born out of that, particularly, they seem to be particularly funny when it, came to food and drink they food and drink sort of always seem to play something of a role um in the hilarity of many of those experiences and um so the book started there mm-hmm. um during one of those many kind of uh sessions with the gals and then um yeah and then snowballed partly as a result of my speaking to an agent who said that I was kind of selling the idea a bit short because uh, a dating anecdote is only really it's quite it is necessarily quite a short-lived mm-hmm. thing and it's really only as interesting as the person you're, who's telling it and if you're not interested in the person telling it, it's not really that interesting um, but also and this became this sort of cemented crystallized during lockdown also because food and love is so much bigger than just romance romance in fact romance is kind of I don't know like it really starts, but it quite literally starts the second you're born in your relationship with your mother, and then it, it grows from there. And it is so integral to so many of our interactions, um, you know. And I found so when what I had that conversation with the agent, then we had lockdown, and I was so struck by our determination to stay connected through food and drink, mm. even though we were physically like barred from doing so you know the innovation that came with with um with the deliveries with the zoom with the the zoom dinner parties the zoom drinks the sharing on social media the sharing recipes was extraordinary we were just so determined to not just speak on the phone as well it was interesting that we had to involve food and drink somehow in the most kind of sometimes in the most comically impossible ways. I remember my friend Lauren and I eating noodles over our computer, like over Zoom, kind of just shoveling noodles into our face, trying to have a conversation. It was <laughs> preposterous. But we were like, no, we have our noodles dates and we will yeah. continue to do so despite being, you know, estranged. So that really helped kind of bring the concept together. Interesting. Um, 
It feels that then in the book that that you've ended up with, which makes it sound like you just ended up with it, the, the, an enormous amount of work you ended up with. <laughs> um, it feels like the romantic relationships are in there less than the 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 wider relationships that you just alluded to in terms mm. of friendships and family, um, and that balance. If as the reader, it feels really well done. That it feels that you're sort of getting that full breadth of, of of engagement for you and how you think food connects different relationships through yeah. life and also how those relationships change as we as we get as we grow as we get older as we go from childhood and teenagehood through into becoming full grown responsible yes adults. um you, you you sort of chart that so gorgeously and un, but underpinning all of this about relationships is is food and food well so many levels of but you just alluded to uh, the the nude episode, which is in the book, uh, and all those experiences that we all had really through the pandemic about food as connection. And, and a small question, Claire: <laughs> what, what, Why do you think food is this connector, or can be? Um, because it is. I mean, it's such an intimate thing to do. Mm. Um, I did have just done a piece rec- uh, recently about, well, kind of talking about food and dating, which um, uh, I explore a little bit in the book. But the reason first dates invariably don't involve food is because you sort of reveal a little bit, well, you reveal almost quite a lot of yourself as soon as you start doing. Oh my goodness, that's such a funny bit in the book when you say, <laughs> uh, you, do, you do a little bit about, you know, what people revealed about themselves in, oh, yeah. like, in, on the first date that I think there was someone, a guy who was like really nitpicky and then would go on to show that that wasn't the yes. only area of life in it, which was pretty like nitpicky. Yes. And, yeah. and I guess we do reveal so much of ourselves in the way that we yeah. engage with food. Yeah, absolutely. Both, both physically and you know, both in terms of kind of our personalities, but also just physically, you're kind of, you expose yourself, you know, as Ed Miliband knows all too well. (laughs) You really lay yourself bare and you're not going to look attractive at all. You can't remain in control when you're eating. You can remain in control whilst you sip something elegantly, but you can't eat very, there are very few things you can eat. Yeah. It's why I hate like canapes and things at parties. Yeah, yeah. Because you just as soon as you sort of put something in your mouth, you know that's when something mm. interesting is going to come along or ask a question or something. Yes. And, then, and it is that sort of, you don't want to look like that person who's just like shoved a massive thing he's still chewing while you're trying to talk at the same time. Yeah. You're right. We do reveal so much about ourselves as we do it. I always like that moment though when just as a kind of I find it comically valuable the moment when people all take a canopy and then they're all like looking at each other like how do we who's going to do this first and how do we do this yeah 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 yeah, yeah. absolutely is it is it in one go yeah take yeah, a bite? yeah. Like, is it a two mouthful situation <laughs> is it going to spurt yeah. everywhere oh yeah. god but this is it and again it leads straight into another really interesting bit i found in the book about how peer groups or any kind of group navigate with each other what mm. the 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 ways are of doing things about having another bottle of wine or are we going to share a dessert that's an interesting one yeah absolutely this um we just gravitate towards it as a means of uniting and that is why when you're all together and so everyone you know we even had it um a few nights ago i was with some friends and we were at an italian restaurant and 
you know, we're all like, should we have, let's let's all get the pasta? And then someone decides to go rogue and have a salad. And you think, oh, I forgot. Oh, we're having pasta. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And it, we shouldn't really feel like that. But the fact that we do feel like that says so much about how much it matters that we are sharing the same thing because we want to share the same experience and be part. It almost feels like you're creating a narrative together and that narrative in that narrative, pasta is quite integral. Not because you're going to look back on that night and be like, oh my God, that pasta. Well, unless you're, I don't know, at... Padella. Padella, say. <laughs> in which case, maybe maybe the most memorable thing will be the pasta, all credit to them. But you... The ne- the pasta still plays a part. It's a shared experience. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and that creates the conversation that you have around the pasta. And just symbolically somebody not partaking that makes them feel ever so slightly detached yeah it's interesting but I uh, do find the sharing plates quite uncomfortable this probably mm. says quite a lot about me that I I, don't know, I I get very anxious about a kind of sharing plate mm. situation for all the reasons that you're alluding to I think about you know how how much <laughs> how much yeah. take yeah. And, ev- and then everyone's got, no one ever has the last of everything yeah. so there's always one you know croquetta or something just yeah. kind of sadly hanging that and then you want someone to die and go let's like just have it someone have it but the politics and mm. the relationships of all that is so I think you so need to really know the people that you have sharing mm. plates with and have that and that again, again is why food and drink are so revealing is because they really expose how comfortable we are with each other and how honest we're being mm. with each other and the, the strength or the weakness of the relationship, mm. I think. Um, well, talking of honesty, you are astonishingly honest in this book about your relationships and your relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I think, I mean, we talked a bit about how the idea came about and how it crystallised through the lockdowns and so on. But I think the most important thing for me and the reason why I do feel like I could tell the story mm. and it be bigger than I am um, is because I have had this experience whereby I didn't eat, really, and and had quite a tortured relationship with food and then recovered and became a food writer and became a lot happier and made you know made men, forged many great friendships mm. and all that grew the more i recovered so mm. my being happier my forging great friendships my forging better relationships with my family um you know and eventually meeting someone i really love like that has all come has all been of a piece with my recovering from an eating disorder, which I should have said up front, by the way. But that, so, you know, I sort of start there at this kind of baseline of, you know, really, well, I had a happy childhood up until that point and ate loads. But then, you know, like many teenage girls mm. and boys, sadly, got struck by this horrendous mental illness and literally grew from there. there and so, I bet there are so many people listening to this now who give a bit of a sigh of relief. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And me too, to be honest. Yeah. Because... So many of us have complicated relationships with food and have done, you know, for years. And I think you can listen to a food podcast and it's and and almost the act of doing that in itself is quite indulgent. Mm. And I think certainly what comes through in Hungry Heart is your 
your absolute level of honesty, but also clarity. And it's not coming across like you're asking for sympathy or that even, to be honest, it doesn't even come across like you think it's that unusual. And I think the truth is because it probably isn't yeah, that yeah. unusual. And I bet, as I say, I bet there's loads of people who just say to you, and go, oh, yeah, okay, that's nice. And it's fresh and it's honest. And I think that's really important for people. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It felt... I don't know. I mean, the process was far more therapeutic than I thought it was going to be. Did you expect to be that revealing? No, no, not really. Um, It's not something I've talked about much in the past, because if you do, just as a writer, let alone as a food writer, you very quickly become the eating disorder girl, Mm. I think. And I've always really resisted that mm. and very much still now please don't pigeon on me as the eating mm. disorder girl I don't want to be that girl like you know I write about so much more than that yeah. and I'm so much more than and that and the book is so much more than that I don't want to mm. for a second give the impression yeah, that yeah. the book is about Claire Finney and her eating disorder because because the joy of it is that it isn't about that. Yeah. that 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 is at times the lens through which you are relating your experience with food and your relationships mm. around it but it's so it's so much more of that than that. But as I say you are you are really really honest. It's yeah. It's more just that it gave me a lens mm. and and really made me appreciate how important food is to human connection and my human connection with so many people on so many levels across family, friends, relationships, colleagues, you know, the market in all areas of my life have improved and grown and been nurtured by food and what happens around food. Um, and that, I suppose it's just, it's just that, that's what allowed me to really reach into the subject. Mm. That and also I think my parents um, divorced when I was six and um, that, and then remarried and very happily and have been married with their respective partners for 20 years. But watching those families grow and what, like, create us, creating two new families out of one. Mm. And, um, you're and so role. interesting in the way you write about that, <laughs> honestly. So, I mean, so much of it is just so good. But that, you, you paint so well what it must have been like, sort of switching between the two new family units mm. and the different relationship each family and you make it really clear that both units are absolutely brilliant mm. and equally loved and all of those things but the way that those families worked and and the relationship they had with food is so different yeah yeah drastically so and i think it's i think it's really joyful and fascinating people very much steer clear a bit like you know and also makes the book sound so much more depressing than it is, yeah, I hope. Yeah, yeah. But a bit like eating disorders. People don't really like like talking about divorce. It's a bit of an icky subject. But again, it's something which is so much li- so many people's lived yeah, experience. Yeah. And and so I think that sort of knitting all of this together, I say it's it's, just, it's just a it's a really inspiring read and it's funny and it's clever and it's smart and it's and but it is uplifting. I say I hope I'm really not making it sound like a down. No, like, no, it's so no, not, not at all. No. It's it is it is an uplifting book, but I think it's uplifting in a way because you are so honest about these things and these things which are so much a part of so many people's lived experience. You're kind of delving into the why some of yes. these things feel that yeah. way. Is your lovely one about going on holiday with some girlfriends after your A-levels. Yes. 
which again I'm sure a lot of people go oh yeah I remember doing that it was really fun but I'm sure there's also people go oh gosh you know it was really anxious about it or you know whatever because those things they, they are fun but it's all those new dynamics of things yeah. can be really hard as well yeah and yeah you do a lovely kind of you know story about that and you know, Malibu and Pineapple. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, really, really, really great. Um, how long did it take you to write this book? Was it what sort of you? Obviously lockdown what well did did lockdown create a situation where you were able to kind of get your head down and dedicate yourself to it? No, because I was doing female chef. Ah, okay. So lockdown was all the female chef really. Um let's talk quickly about female chef. Tell yes. people what that book is. So that apart is, from brilliant. <laughs> thank you. Uh that is an interview with thirty female chefs. Um, from Angela Hartnett to Thomasina Myers to Knox Majosie to so many people Sam Evans and Shauna Gwynn Rav Gill Rav Gill Chantal Nicholson yeah yeah um, wonderful people Ravinda Bogle um, many of whom have become great friends since as well which has been really nice and it was talking about the relationship between chefing and cooking and why it's taken us such a long time to have female chefs and why some of those chefs actually don't want to be identified, don't want to identify as chefs at all, as McCann is also in there, very much strongly rejects the term chef. And the politics that surround being a chef and being a cook and why, given women are at the centre of so much food production and domestic, <laughs> it's certainly domestic production, um, you know, feeding their communities and their families, why that kind of disconnect between women being at the heart of food and yet poorly represented still even now in restaurants. Do you feel still? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, It's improving, but maybe not in restaurant... Maybe not... It's it's when it comes to, you know, the Michelins and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's still very... You wouldn't know there are so many great women as there are, I think. Because so many of them are doing things differently as well. And they're doing things in a way that isn't recognised by isn't necessarily recognised by the old metrics yeah yeah of success yeah interesting it's a lovely lovely book and, a, and I think it's such a snapshot of the food world at, uh, th- at this you know, of our generation yeah I and because you cover so many women and they're all so different yeah they're so different it's it's, so funny yeah but it's and there's uh, yeah it's beautifully photographed and it's oh uh, yeah. yeah Liz Seabrook is a photographer and she's done a yeah an almost painterly job, I'd say. When you were so the book, the, the female chef is um, what well, interviews, I suppose, yes. narratives yes. around these women. When in the course of those conversations with those women about their cooking and therefore, I suppose, their relationship with food, mm. I wonder to what degree those conversations informed some of Hungry Heart. Very much so, actually. I'd say. In fact, there's a couple of um, anecdotes that they told me that didn't feature in the female chef f- for various reasons, space largely, um, that have then made it into Hungry Heart. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Asma Khan talks beautifully about a biryani. I can't even do justice yeah, to the way Asma Khan describes a biryani without yeah. getting Asma Khan yeah. <laughs> into the room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but she talks about how... And this is really kind of at the crux of why... Of what, well, one of the reasons why food and love are so intricately connected. She talks about the time invested, the time invested in cooking as a homage to your relationship mm. to that person, and how 
and it's time in terms of the time it takes to make a biryani and indeed many of the dishes that she serves um but also the span of time through which the recipe has been handed mm. down generation after generation mm. after generation after generation and the way that expresses itself even through the the movements and the the kind of measuring of ingredients and the motions of the cook and all of that is built into the biryani so when you eat it you are eating not just the love of that person but the love of countless generations of women um and that is why it takes time to cook with love i think more than anything else it takes time yeah and you tell you Segwaying from that into love with story you tell about bread mm. and about um, Olivier's yes, at the market. And, you, yeah. and the whole, the, 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 the book is broken down into what, 10 chapters, maybe a bit more? Yeah, 12. 12 chapters. Um, and there's, so there's a chapter on it, various, various foods or various relationships or various scopes of mm. a kind of relationship, I guess. But there's a chapter that's particularly about bread. Yes, yes. Um, and you say a lovely thing about toast, which I'd never really thought of, that we uh, as Brits, of the, kind of the only people who do toast. Yes, yes. <laughs> and how there can be a very particular kind of love and comfort that's wrapped up by, you know, processed white, yeah. you know, some blessed for sake of saying another brand, toast, you know, and that's th- not the kind of smart sourdough. But there's a very particular thing that of that which can have a place in people's yeah. sort of emotional memory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I suppose. And then, but that, and then you go on from there to talk about uh, Olivier's and the, and the way he approaches bread. Talk to us about, talk to us about that. I mean, gosh, Olivier is just a dream to talk to and to interview. He speaks so poetically. I think if he wasn't French it would be hard to take seriously but because he has such a beautiful <laughs> French accent it sounds gorgeous oh. and like and, and as meaningful as it is um, but he said he told me once that there is no love in a role because a role isn't something you share a role is something that makes quite a bit more money than bread because you can charge a higher price per unit it's not something that you break and you don't break a roll with somebody, you break bread with people. Um, and yeah, the the joy of, you know, the way you as a baker relate to bread and how you have to, you have to literally relate to it as well. I mean, we talk, we use the word relate in all sorts of ways nowadays, but you actually have to have an almost emotional relationship with, with the dough. Right. Um, and read it and kind of respond to it and move it to a nicer, like a warmer place. Or a and the dough place. can tell. And the dough can tell. The dough can yeah. tell what kind of mood you're in and the dough lives yeah. it with you. I remember foolishly trying to make bread. I, know, nev- I never made bread, ever. For some reason, I just had a miscarriage and I decided I was going to make some bread. Yeah. It was the worst bread. of, of, of <laughs> oh, It just wasn't bread. It didn't yeah. work. The dough, because the dough knew that the world was tumbling around, you yeah. know, ears, and it wasn't going to... But I, I remember saying to my husband that... I knew he said my husband at the time. I remember saying <laughs> at the time to my husband. James is still very much my husband. Uh, I remember saying to like the dough knew, that, and the dough yeah. knew that we were just, you know, not having a good time. And, and I really... And I think everybody, when they read Hungry Heart, will have countless times when they read something, a, a thought you express, an emotion you express, and connect with it 
in the same way or in a very you know, in in a different but so connected way to what you write about it and find a lot of empathy through oh, I really hope that. so I've actually included I mean it's not um in the proof that you read but the final book has uh blank pages at the end but with little prompts oh that's nice for you to write your own meal kind of anecdotes stories recipes and so on that's really nice so yeah but yeah the role thing is really interesting that you 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 don't you you break bread with someone you don't yeah and and the the role um and as you say olivier talking about you the the time and the love and he says Mm. i think that he could make a lot more money Yes, he can make a lot more money making roles. Yeah, yeah, but it's not what he wants to do. And you give another lovely story. I'm just going to keep counting the number of lovely stories each time. But (laughs) but of um, I'm going to forget the name. The one of the guys who's working on stand. Oh my god, Stefan also could listen to him all day. Yeah, tell us about Stefan. Um, Because I don't think I've encountered him, and now I'm going to make sure that I do, because he sounds brilliant. He is brilliant. He doesn't work there anymore, because he has... I missed my chance. I know, I'm very sorry, but (laughs) he is now a fully-fledged psychotherapist and has a practice in East London. But we spoke when he was training in psychotherapy and also selling bread at the same time, which is a very sort of harmonious thing to do, as it turns out. Um, And he was going on a retreat with the people on his course and they had to bring something that meant that was meaningful to them each person had to bring something and he um <laughs> I don't think he'd I think he'd sort of left it to the last minute a little bit <laughs> to be honest but he kind of finished his shift and he was like oh god I've got to bring something uh and but brought this huge I mean if you've not been to Olivier's bakery some of the the pan de levant is a massive stonking great piece of bread take a whole one he took a no he i think he took a whole oh one my gosh. yeah they are enormous um and they've got a really thick crust yeah. and he it came to his term they're sort of doing a show and tell with their most meaningful um item and he like brought out this massive loaf and then suddenly realized he didn't have a bread knife and sort of felt like he couldn't talk about why this bread was so important to him and why Olivier's was so important to him without actually sharing the bread out so he broke it broke hunks off to um, pass it around which is no mean feat and um, he said on reflection it wouldn't have been the same if he'd cut it Mm. it would have introduced something between that intimacy Mm. that tangible intimacy intimate physical connection between me breaking something and giving it to Mm. you Um, and that yeah really prompted me to reflect on the the physicality of food mm. you know we when we share crisps in the pub we you know we don't eat them with forks like mm. it's really important that we're all scrabbling around yeah, yeah, with our hands yeah. and I, it made me think about the um the Brown market cookbook club mm. and when we were doing live events so the part very much a big part of the joy of those was people so people would bring you know a dish that they cooked from the chosen book and share it with the rest of the group and it was the sharing of the food that they had cooked for each other which really made it work and i always think i never underestimated the what a what a huge thing it was that that people who had never met each other were taking time out of their busy lives to cook for each other and then bring along something to share with strangers and the act of sharing meant they were no longer strangers yes yeah, absolutely. It's impossible to, yeah, it's impossible to be remain kind of estranged or remain distant from somebody once you've mm. 
shared homemade food together. Yeah. And the homemadeness is important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's so much else that we can talk to you about this, but I'm going to. You know, I was thinking about reading the last bit of the book, Aww. but I'm not going to because I want people to read it themselves. <laughs> okay. And it would be a massive spoiler alert. But it's one. It's one of the best last pages of, <sighs> of a book that I've read. Oh my god! No, it really Thank was. You. It was one of those ones that you, that you sort of you get such a cracker. So I read this in two sessions literally you know, half and half and it, it's a nice book to dip into for sure and I can imagine it definitely being a nice sort of nice end of the day you know sort of in bed before mm. you go to sleep book but also I really think it there's a lot to be got out of it of reading it in you know a big a big bite of it as well oh food pun uh, and I was loving it and it's very obviously the last chapter and you can sort of feel it building towards <laughs> that and then I turned the last page and I and I really wanted the last page to be as good as it is Oh, yay. And it really is. And and the last bit, so I'm not, they, I'm going to make people buy it and read it themselves because it really is an absolute cracker. And it's one of those, you read the last bit, you close the cover of it and you give a sigh of, yes. Oh, that well, was time well spent. There's no greater praise. Thank so, you. So, so, so I really, really you know, recommend anybody who's interested in, and who's not interested in, but especially if you listen to the Bro Market podcast, I think we've got <laughs> I think you're a self-defining gang. Yeah, uh, <laughs> interested in just how we feed ourselves and why and the relationships of, and it is fun and it is funny. Um, definitely seek out Claire's beautiful, hungry heart, a story of food and love, which is a I love the three really nice sort of bit at the end. Um, so the book is out early June, eighth of June. Yes, yes. Um, and then. What's next? what next? What's next? That's oh, an awful God. question, isn't it? I was thinking on the way here, I wonder what I'll say if Angela asks me the what next Should question. Should pretend I didn't want to say long. Um, well, you could, you could do... So Rav Girl says loads of things, but I can't talk about any of them. Oh, that's a very It was good, a good answer yeah, because that, then it sort of was like teased, you know, mm, like really exciting stuff to come. Yes, it's not true. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, loads more at the market, I'm sure. Loads but more at the market. Loads more at the market. Um, lovely. Always lovely to see you, Claire. Thank um, you so much. Huge congratulations for Hungry Heart. Um, and yeah, see you soon. Thank you so much, Angela. This oh. has been a joy. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you all so much for joining us on Borough Talks. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back with more Borough Talks soon. You can still enjoy the best of Borough at Borough Market Online with nationwide delivery. You can head to our website for more information, subscribe to our newsletter. There are lots of recipes and features on the Borough Market traders.